to another episode of the Agile Weekly Podcast. I'm Clayton Langelzigich. I'm Derek Neighbors. I'm Drew Lesweer. And joining us today, we have Arlo Belshi. Uh, and uh, Arlo, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are, where you work, uh, what you do kind of thing? Yeah, so uh, I'm in Seattle. Um, I work for Microsoft. Um, and uh, I'm currently working on uh, the OData protocol, so RESTful web services and, and um, a protocol definition, open web protocol. So... Um, my background, um, whole lot of background with all sorts of things XP. I've um, been doing it for a decade or so, coaching teams, um, and I bounce from uh, company to company and project to project to find the ones who uh, really want to do awesome and uh, help them do so. Yeah, so we wanted to talk to you about some XP practices and, uh, you know, I guess at a high level, um, you know, what is it about XP that attracts you to that versus some other agile methodology? Um, so it does the part that matters. Uh, <laughs> that's really what it comes down to. Uh, so the way I think of it is um, assume that our objective is to get to Chicago. Um, and uh, you know, we've got a bunch of different ways that we could do so. Um, if I'm using uh, – you know, one of those options is you know, traditional development style. So uh, I'm going to uh, lay down some track. Make a big plan. It's um, build it and build myself a little handcart. I'm going to lay down all this track, build myself the handcart, climb on it, start pumping, and I will get to Chicago. Right. Um, other practices do parts of a different approach. You know, all of the agile practices. You're basically going towards we're going to drive there, um, and we're going to instead of doing this pre-planning, um, we're going to respond to the information as we go and uh, navigate the roads, and we're going to build vehicle, a vehicle, ourselves a vehicle that uh, can respond. So, great. So then let's look at what are the practices and how do they, what parts of the car do they apply to? Well, so Scrum, that's the steering column. And that's basically what's in Scrum. And uh, no matter how good my steering column is, I'm not getting to Chicago with just a steering column. Um, XP, I like because it, it talks to the technical practices. And the technical practices are the engine. Um, you can get really, really far with XP's technical practices and a waterfall planning practice. That's, that's called a locomotive. Uh, it'll, it'll get you to Chicago. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's what attracts me there. Um, I also do really like um, the lean thinking stuff, um, the learning stuff, uh, learning practices from XP and the lean thinking uh, uh, practices align very well. And I think that's also a very critical part of it. But fundamentally, XP is the one that gets that all the rest of Agile is enabled by doing good engineering. And it tells you how to do so. So I'm going to kind of set you up here. So we've had some discussions internally about, uh, you know, if you look at some XP things, like what's the most important? If there's only one thing you could adopt. Uh, so we're going to ask you that question. If there's, if there's one thing that a team could adopt, some XP practice, whether that be pair programming or continuous integration or whatever it is, what's the one thing uh, that, that you would suggest? Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> well, so part of the thing with, with the XP is that um, there is a, a one thing that's a good answer to this, um, but it's well broken down in all the descriptions of XP. So in a description of XP, it shows up as like five different parts. What if I um, said the first thing? Does that change it? If, I say, if you say the first it's, thing it's you would introduce? Really, so it's the one thing that I would do is continuous learning and reflection on your code. And 
that shows up in, T- in, in XP books as a combination of TDD, sit-together, pair programming, um, and refactoring because it talks about all the pieces. But it's, those aren't individual pieces. The individual piece really is that continuous reflection and understanding and learning and improving of the code. Um, the other things are just sort of like – they're the windows on the tool <laughs> you can use to understand. It. So, so yeah, if I have to choose – one thing, and I can I can identify a thing. It's that um, if I have to choose one of the practices, like out of a book, um, then I would probably say it's pair programming, assuming sitting together. Okay. Um, you but really, that's part you, you know you'd mentioned yeah. <laughs> um, you know a lot of the technical stuff, and I guess maybe this is a sidebar, but I have to ask, where do you stand on the software craftsman, craftsmanship stuff? Mm-hmm. Is that good, bad? Mm-hmm. Um, the movement or the thinking. Um, so I personally don't much buy into the movement. Um, I don't see problems with it, um, but um, I do see some places where it misses the mark. Um, and a lot of that's in how it talks about things and, and how it thinks about learning. Um, on the, the intent um, that uh, you know, what matters is doing good code, um, and to do good code, you learn to do good code, and you work with other people, and no holds barred, we're going to do good code. Totally agree with all that stuff. Hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, so kind of more of a practical question. Um, hmm. In terms of like pair programming, so if that's, you know, that's an important one. I think um, you know, I certainly enjoy pair programming. see a lot of benefit out of it and everything. Uh, hmm. What are some common problems that you see that, that teams have or maybe people have uh, when they pair Okay, um, so there are different. There are a couple of different sets of problems. Um, there are the problems that are related to learning to pair, transitioning to pairing, all of that sort of stuff, and then there are the problems related to actually pairing. Um, I find most teams have problems not with pairing, but with the transition. Hmm. Um, there are problems that show up with pairing as well, but I think the more interesting ones are the transition. Just like transitioning to agile is very different than doing agile, um, transitioning to pairing is very different. And the, the way I think of it is learning to pair is fundamentally you're learning a different language. Um, you think differently. You learn to think in pair, and it is, it is a very different way of thinking. Um, you need to develop it, – it's critical to develop subconscious filters that are uh, filtering your environment differently so that you're not being distracted by the noise but are subconsciously noting it. And when something comes up, when a keyword gets matched – your subconscious mind fills in the last 15 seconds of conversation, just like when someone says your name. You know, all those things, the, that closest match we have is learning another language. Um, and so I really encourage teams to, um, to do that transition both as an experiment and like they're trying to learn a language, which means that you define – a period of time that we're going to try this experiment. It's got to be at least three, four weeks because we're talking about training the subconscious that doesn't happen quickly. It takes, takes a month. Um, <laughs> so you got to be three, four weeks. Um, you got to expect that it's going to be, look really awesome the first day. It's going to be sheer hell by the end of the first week. Um, you're not even going to be able to think straight. You're now going to be, you're basically, your mind is now trying to think in two different languages at once and it just, everything's blocking itself. Um, and that that's what's going to happen in the second week. I see a lot of teams don't know what to expect 
in that transition period. Um, and they, so they get into that first couple of weeks, go, oh, God, stop doing 100% pairing. And they say, okay, we need to, to back off. And then they do 50% pairing, which becomes 25%, or, you know, or we'll pair on certain types of tasks. And at that point, you've now switched from immersion learning of a language to learning of a language in a high school classroom. You're never going to get the accent. Um, and it's going to take for freaking ever. Um, so you're just never going to see the value that you do if you can actually understand what immersion learning is going to be like, be willing to accept that, um, and then make it happen. So I've got a question on uh, getting to the transition. So say, uh, let me give you two scenarios and, and tell me how you would approach them and whether it'd be the same way or potentially different. One would be, you know, I'm a development manager and I've really started to read about this XP stuff or maybe I've worked at another company and we've done XP before and I, I really believe in it, um, except none of my developers currently want to pair program. You know, how do I start that process or that transition? Is it okay to just right. say, I'm going to demand that you all pair program and deal with it and let's talk about it in three weeks um and then the other scenario would be you know hey i just joined a new team and i came from an xp team and i really missed that and i really want to do that and maybe there's another person or two on the team that are interested in it or you know pair curious or xp curious um, uh, ab- about things how would uh, you go about uh it, coaching that person to um, move into <clears throat> transitioning to pairing Okay. Um, so the meta approach is the same, um, and then the details vary by the context. Um, the meta approach is understand that people decide emotionally and then justify rationally. That uh, Rationalization is called that for a reason. It's the only way we use the rational mind. Um, so if you want to get people to make a decision to try pairing, it's an emotional sell um, because they've got an emotional – a commitment to the current one, you've got to, to change through that, which means um, inspire first, educate second. Uh, so what I would do is, uh, well, okay, some of the things I have done here. Um, I did a code retreat. Um, there was a set of people that that was the right thing. Um, and we we got together um, <clears throat> and a code retreat, you're doing everything paired. Um, and also most of the people around here don't have great tools. So I'm showing them ReSharper and I'm showing them uh, NCrunch and I'm showing them all sorts of stuff that they can't work in their daily work because they're working in C um, on really old legacy systems. Um, so you know, it, I bring all of those things together into a room and now pairing is something fun that I got to do for a day um, which allowed me to learn simultaneously – this language and solve the problem and learn four or five tools and holy cow, it was a successful day. Um, and now, you know, there I've inspired, right? Um, so, you know, that one works. Another one is um, I can do a demo and show some of the things that are, are going to result. Um, and that can be another good way to inspire. Um, we did a, an exchange program for a little while, um, which will be starting up again soon um, where uh, uh Teams could go visit teams from other companies. So, you know, Smilebox is just down the street. They have a really good uh, XP shop. They do a lot of pairing. Um, and it's full collaborative style with everyone in one room and, and the devs and the, the uh, marketing people and whatever can overhear each other and all the goodness. And so when I could take people from the teams here over to visit that, suddenly without having to learn pairing or commit to pairing, they could see the value that comes from the collaboration and the learning. And then we can come back and we can talk about how we actually will do that transition. <laughs> 
Right. I thought it was very interesting you hit on that transition part. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a very good point. There was a team I'd been working with where one of the guys was, you know, it was like, I'm so mad at Derek because he writes all this terrible code, and I'm so mad at Drew because all he does is goof off all day. And, you know, he and I had done some pairing, and I said, oh, this would be a great opportunity for you to kind of promote some pairing. You know, you guys, you have your desk set up for it. This would be fantastic. You know, you can kind of solve all these problems if you just do this. Well, I don't know. And it turned into, it was very much that. I don't want to get into the transition thing. You know, I, I can't even, I can't even imagine how that would work. And, you know, it was too much of a emotional yeah. blocker for him. I think I thought that was very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I have found that, um, that there's uh, the emotional block is huge. Um, and it's especially huge if it in any way sounds like you're trying to sell a change to pairing. Um, but if I tell, if I tell people, you know, here's some of the advantages and especially get them to experience one of those little experiments of, hey, let's try some cool stuff. Um, I'll often sell the pairing by getting them to try TDD and refactoring. You know, let's co-play with these cool tools. Oh, let's – to help people learn the cool tools, we're going to do pairing with rapid pair swaps and then they see the advantage of the collaboration, right? So I'll do that and then the second is pitch the transition purely as an experiment. Um, the ground rules I start with are – um, we agree we're going to do it for three weeks. We agree and understand that it's going to be painful and we're going to do that. We also agree that at the end of three weeks, we're going to stop. We're not going to pair in perpetuity. Um, we're going to gather, experience, uh, gather data of whatever data we think is, is relevant to this, measure the result of that experiment, um, and then discuss the result of the experiment. And we aren't going to do anything more than that. Now, if, as a result of doing that experiment, now people want to do a transition, we can talk about doing a, a transition to pairing permanently. Uh, but so, that no commitment thing really helps. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, just kind of a last question here to wrap up. Is there a particular technical practice or maybe a particular part of XP that you find that teams are pretty much always bad at and they really need to spend some time improving? Um, you know, it's kind of universal across all teams. Yeah, unit TDD. Um, a, there are a fair number of teams that do TDD. Um, there are very few teams that actually do unit TDD. Um, they'll write uh, short-span integration tests or long-span integration tests. They don't understand a unit. They won't refactor the code um, to be unit testable. Uh, instead, they'll use mocks. I hate mocks. Um, <laughs> mocks and dependency injection, which I also hate, um, <laughs> to allow them to test otherwise untestable code. You know, the point of those tools are great for legacy systems because you've got stuff that's intertwined and you want to test it anyway. Wonderful. But refact, you know, if it's not legacy, refactor it so it's not intertwined and now you don't need the tool anymore. They're, they're crutches that can really get in the way. So a lot of teams just don't understand what a unit is can't therefore they can't do unit tdd the closest they can get is unit like tdd with mocks where things are sort of units during testing but they're not actually units in the in the product so they aren't getting any of the design advantages and most of the bug elimination and that sort of thing from tdd actually comes from improving the design not from uh not from doing little verifications and validations Um, so so yeah that's that's the technical practice that i think everyone needs to learn and it's also an interesting one because it's the one that everyone who's practicing assumes they already know. Hmm. That's an interesting point. Uh, so I think we're out of time here. Um, <clears throat> if, uh, if I wanted to go find you on the internet or, you know, learn more about you or the stuff you're doing, uh, where would I, where would I go? Um, so Twitter handle is at Arlo Belshi. Um, and I also do a blog at Arlo Belshi.com. Okay. And, uh, is there any, you know, books or anything like that? Um, anything you're involved with any projects that you'd like to, uh, suggest for yeah. the audience? Yeah, so no books. 
Um, uh, the the project I'm working on, uh, well, if you're interested in RESTful web services and and uh, all of that sort of stuff, by all means, go look at OData. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, my agile stuff it's mostly talking at conferences, the blog, um, and occasional tweets. Okay, great. And uh, as always, we'd like to invite the audience to uh, check us out on Facebook at uh, facebook.com/agileweekly, where you can. Talk about this episode and all the other episodes we have a little bit more uh, in detail if you want to continue the conversation. And, uh, Arlo, we really appreciate you uh, joining us tonight. And uh, Thank thanks you. a lot. Is there something you'd like to hear in a future episode? Head over to integramtech.com slash podcast where you can suggest a topic or a guest. Looking for an easy way to stay up to date with the latest news, techniques, and events in the Agile community? Sign up today at agileweekly.com. It's the best agile content delivered weekly for free. The Agile Weekly podcast is brought to you by Integram Technologies and recorded at Gangplank Studios in Chandler, Arizona. For old episodes, check out integramtech.com or subscribe on iTunes.